friends and family. It's good to see you this morning. Um, how's Daylight Savings treating you today? Are you okay? You're tired? Yeah? Some bags on our eyes today. Daylight Savings and there was snow on the ground. This is odd. It's an odd morning. Um, I'm not going to lie, like I need a little extra boost today. Do you need a little extra boost? That's how I feel. I get the sense that we need a little extra Holy Spirit ask today, this morning. I just get that feeling today. We need some warmth in our spirit, okay? We need the embers of our hearts stirred up a bit. The weather impacts us in in more ways than one. If you did not know that, now you know. Um, So let's pray first before we get started with our teaching. Is that okay? Is that okay? All right, all right, cool. I need to... I'm going to need you today, all right? Um, Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are here, that you are among us, that you are omnipresent. But God, would you heighten our awareness of your presence today, this morning, in the midst of all that we have going on in life, in the midst of what feels like a very dreary cold in a day where you just want to be inside alone by yourself. God, I pray that you would stir up something fresh today. I'm believing in faith you're going to meet us afresh today. I am believing that you are going to meet us today. I believe there are people in this space, God, that need a unique touch of your hand today, that need comfort, that need empowerment, that need a sense of courage deposited into their spirit today. And God, we want to just simply praise you and honor you as our means of being filled up today. And in our gratitude, would it stir up joy in us? In our worship, would it change us? Would it draw our attention to you, God? We thank you for the miracles in our life, small and large. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for life itself. We thank you that we're breathing today. We thank you that we have lived to see another day. We thank you, God, that you sent your son Jesus to enter into this human condition. We thank you, God, for our community, for relationships, that we don't have to journey alone. We thank you, God, that you are full of goodness, full of compassion, full of mercy, full of justice, full of righteousness. That you are also one who rewards us when we sincerely seek you. Increase faith today in believing that when we seek you, that you reward us. And we believe right now that when we pray, Holy Spirit, fill us up, that we are being filled right now. Then when we say we are abiding in you, we are abiding in you. Then when we say we are drawing near to you, we know without a shadow of a doubt because of the promise of the scriptures that you draw near to us. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do you happen to know what the primary indicator is of whether or not a relationship is going to fail? 
What do you think it might be? Primary indicators that point to the failure of a relationship. <laughs> lack of compromise, lack of honesty, lack of conflict. Some might say things like bitterness. You ever met a bitter person before? You ever met a bitter believer? That's a dichotomy. Could it be frustration? Disagreement? Lack of romance in a romantic relationship? Anger? Jealousy? Maybe apathy? How about children? <laughs> Conflict in a marriage? Maybe children sometimes. Overwork? Exhaustion? Come to find out, the primary indicator of whether or not a relationship is going to fail is actually contempt. Contempt. Arthur Brooks, in his book, Love Your Enemies, says the social psychologist and relationship expert John Gottman from the University of Washington was famously able to predict up to 94% accuracy whether couples would divorce just by observing a brief snippet of conversation. 94%. The biggest warning signs of all were indications of contempt, such as sarcasm, sneering, and hostile humor. Disagreement is normal, but dismissiveness can be deadly. I mentioned last week that we in our time are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness. And that Gen Z is the loneliest generation in American history. All despite our innate need for connection and one another. We launched into this teaching series last week, this one another teaching series, looking at obviously the various one another aspects of the New Testament, some of the marks of living as the people of God. But we first had to acknowledge that we need each other and that we live in a moment where individuals, a majority of people, are experiencing great loneliness. It actually broke my heart that at the end of our gathering last week, I saw many hands go up for people who are experiencing loneliness right now. You know who you are. And I'm praying that over the next few days and weeks to come that you will experience a connection in this community like never before. We are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness, but at the same time, we can also say with confidence that our society is ravaged by the posture of contempt. Brooks goes on to say in his book, Love Your Enemies, we don't have an anger problem in America. We have a contempt problem. He actually argues as a social psychologist that anger can actually be a benefit to society. But contempt undermines the fabric of a people and a group, a family, a nation, a community. So what exactly is contempt? Some of you have 
maybe never heard the word contempt before in your life. Contempt, as a definition for you this morning, is to dismiss, devalue, and disrespect another person's innate human dignity. It is this strong inner conviction of the worthlessness of another person. It is to disregard the humanity in another human being. Where our posture toward the other is an I-it relational dynamic rather than an I-thou or I-you relational dynamic. You could simplify it by saying it is objectifying another human being and turning them into a thing. It is to see through another person and to neglect their innate humanity, their value, and their dignity. The small seed of dismissal can ultimately lead to despising, which can then lead to dehumanizing. Dehumanization doesn't happen overnight. It usually begins as a small seed of dismissal to dismiss another human being, which then leads to this posture of despising another, where another actually makes us disgusted the disgust and disdain leads us ultimately to dehumanizing another human being. We see this most clearly today in the polarization of partisan politics. This us versus them posture, tribalism, where the whole group is built around what we are against rather than what we are for. The loyalty to the group is the most important thing, even if it impacts our morality and ethics. We see it everywhere. We say things like, they are evil. They are dumb. They are ignorant. They, they, they. We rarely take personal responsibility in 2023. We do what the family theorist Edwin Friedman refers to as blame displacement. We always put the blame on someone other than ourselves or our group. We do it differently, but we all do it. This is the result of contempt. And if we're honest, blame displacement is actually a telltale sign of emotional regression and systemic anxiety. When we aren't able to take responsibility, it is usually an indicator of our own anxiety and fear. Justin Gibney, who's somebody you guys need to look up and spend some time reading, he's an attorney and an activist in Atlanta. He says, all incivility is at its root, preceded by dehumanization. Incivility is toxic because it stems from a lapse in the recognition of human dignity. When we look at the incivility of 
the U.S., it can all be boiled down to, I believe, contempt and a lapse of recognition of human dignity. We have utterly lost the ability to disagree well and lovingly in the public square. Humbly recognizing the human being across from us. And this is often, I think, because the person that we are disagreeing with isn't across from us, but behind a post, an email, or a text message. It is a lot easier to dehumanize what you can't see or who you can't see. Contempt, I want us to understand this, contempt will most always be the result of digital disagreement because it isn't personal. There's no physical connection at all. It is excarnational, out of the flesh versus in flesh. And if we're honest today, on this dreary March Sunday, Contempt has made its way into the church. And it has proven to be a cancer that ultimately undermines love, joy, and harmony. Some research has revealed that most young people today seem to leave the church, not necessarily, although not always, for academic, philosophical, or even doctrinal reasons, but the posture and spirit of many believers. I think we can all acknowledge that we see contempt infiltrating the church in the U.S. and in the Western world. The primary way one another breaks down is through contempt. The primary way the fabric of one another, social cohesion or unity breaks down is through contempt. It's not anger. It's not even disagreement. It's contempt. This conviction of the worthlessness of another, lack of respect, lack of reverence or lack of dignity As I said a second ago, contempt doesn't see. Contempt in some ways is actually blind. It often is, as Jesus says himself on the Sermon on the Mount, the log in our own eye. When we have a log in our eye, we aren't able to see another. Contempt produces this, and it breaks down one another in our community. And to be honest, as well, I've seen it in the life of our community. And at times, my own life as a person. I'm actually going to take some time this morning to confess some of my own proclivities. Because I think it's important for us to acknowledge the bent that we have towards a vision that God did not lay out for us. Or behavior that is not Christ-like. So I'm going to be honest today. And I'm going to encourage you. You need to be honest with some people today. 
You need to confess some things in your life and behaviors that seem to perpetuate themselves in your rhythm of living. So, what are some examples of contempt? Let's make this very practical today. Keep in mind, there are major forms of contempt, but there are also minor forms of contempt that we might not even recognize often. So let's walk through 11 examples of contempt. And some of you struggle with these. I do. At least a few of these. And I want you to acknowledge with humility, which of these would you say, that's really me? All right? You guys gave me permission last week for the hard stuff. So let's keep the train rolling today. Is that okay? All right. Here's the first example of contempt that we have for you, that I have for you guys this morning. Sarcastic jokes or mockery. This hits me in the face like a ton of bricks. Here's why. If you are around me long enough, you know that I'm one of the biggest clowns in the world. (laughs) I grew up in a family that did this. We clowned one another. That's what we call it. We call it clowning, right? That makes it appropriate. But often, I don't know when to turn it off. Is that you today? It's one thing to be humorous and to laugh and and joke and have fun. But sometimes we don't know when we need to stop or when we should stop. Or, or by the way, when someone says, hey, that's enough, or they don't laugh at your joke, you might need to stop. Or if our humor actually turns into mocking someone else, it's an example of contempt. It's not the way of Jesus. And this is a struggle for me. And I make excuses all the time. Oh, we're just, we're close. We're in close proximity. It's actually a form of endearment. Maybe, maybe at times. The hard part is you don't know when to stop. And I'm really working on it, guys. I'll be honest. Trying. First example, sarcastic jokes or mockery. Here's the second one, second form of contempt. Gossip. Gossip. To diminish someone's reputation especially when they aren't in the room. Gossip is undermining the fabric of the church in the U.S. and can undermine our local church as well because often it gets masked with prayer requests and venting. And it's not the way of Jesus. If you can't say it to a person's face, don't say it. And maybe you don't even need to say it to their face. Now, slander is a major form of gossip. To publicly diminish someone's reputation. But gossip is a real issue in the church. Some of us struggle with this. Now, again, some of you might be wrestling, okay, what is gossip, what's not? Again, I think it's helpful 
to have an awareness that's, that gossip at the most basic level is to diminish someone's reputation or character when they aren't in the room. It's, it's to give your opinion on a person's behavior, circumstance, life, or judgments that they make. That's the second example of contempt. Here's the third one. This one comes up the most in the study around contempt. Negative body language. More specifically, eye rolling. Any eye rollers in the room? Confess it. Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on. I'm not an eye roller. I'm more like a lip smacker. I like I like kind of cock my head back. Oh, you know, I guess I do roll my eyes sometimes. Let me, let me try that again. Yeah, sometimes I do roll my eyes. Or like this kind of face. That's contempt. Eye rolling. John Gottman recognizes with marital couples when they're in a, a counseling space, if one starts kind of rolling their eyes a lot, it's an indicator of contempt, which is an indicator of divorce. It's not yelling your, yelling your voice. It's not disagreement, it's eye-rolling and negative body language. Here's a fourth one for us. Virtue signaling. This is kind of a reverse, a reverse form of contempt. For example, bumper stickers and yard signs. Oh, we love them. Can't stand them. Honestly, if you have a, a yard sign in your yard and I'm coming to your house, I'm probably going to take it out and throw it in the trash, okay? And um, I'll ask for forgiveness afterwards, okay? Like this is a form to, to, to make it seem as though I am morally superior than you. Because of the conclusions I've come to, I have the moral authority. You see it everywhere. I've mentioned this before. You see it in Lindley Park. You see it in Brown Summit. Everywhere. Just wait till next year. Oh, did you guys forget? There's an election happening next year. I'm not trying to jump into that yet. Like, I'm just enjoying 2023 as it comes. Be present, baby. Be in the moment, right? It's a dumpster fire, man. Bumper stickers. I see stickers on gas station, like little terminals now. Like, this is wild. I heard a story this past week of a pastor talking about this very topic, and he said in his city, there was a, like a big a sign of Jesus, and it said something like, Jesus is life, or something like that. Someone actually had taken a spray can, sprayed over life, and put the word for male genitalia. It's contempt. It's contempt. Devalue dehumanizing. Now, people would not do that for Buddha or the Dalai Lama or other influential figures throughout history. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Jesus. Jesus is a, there it is. Virtue signaling is a form of contempt. Here's the next one. Subtweeting or posting, where you passive-aggressively put, put a post on Facebook where you're talking about a person, but their name is not in the post or not in the tweet. But everyone knows who or what you're talking about. It's an example of contempt. Here's a sixth one. The sixth one is divisiveness 
or what some psychologists refer to as triangulation, which just simply means pitting someone against another. You know who's the best at triangulation and divisiveness? Little children. Pitting the mother and the father against each other. It happens. Now, there's all forms of triangulation. But when you pit someone against another, it's producing divisiveness. Or triangulation is a form of contempt. Here's the next one. A critical spirit. Critical spirit. Not the same as critique or pushback. And let's be honest. Like sometimes we also like to mask a critical spirit with saying, well, I just actually like to provide some pushback. Not 100% of the time. Like if you're negative all the time about everything and have a critical spirit and always are poking holes, it's actually a form of contempt. A critical spirit. Again, distinct from critique. All right? Here's the eighth one. Here's one I really, really struggle with as well. Interrupting or speaking over another person. If someone's talking, shut your mouth. <laughs> Listen. And I'm not good at it. Like, I'm confessing today. I'm not great at this. I jump into conversations often. I jump over people. And I jump in when I shouldn't. Interrupting or speaking over another. Here's the next one. The ninth one. The ninth one is condescending comments. Condescension. Where you think you know everything. I struggle with this too. I'm, I'm telling you all the ones I really struggle with. For me, often every conversation with someone I disagree with is about winning. It's beating them. For whatever reason. Most of the time it's because of my own insecurity. Condescension can also lead to dismissing another person's thoughts. Another person's thoughts. We think we know everything. A good practice for this is try to intake information from people who don't necessarily have the same viewpoint as you. There's actually been some research that shows that our ability to think critically actually diminishes if we only listen to and intake information from the same source. Like, we're stuck in vacuums or echo chambers. And guess what? Oh, by the way, Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok is curated for your own psyche to perpetuate that sense of contempt. Because some of us say, well, I saw on Facebook. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you see a lot on Facebook. Okay? And guess what? You see what you want to see. Okay? Here's the next two, which might be surprising for us. Number 10. Backing out of commitments is a form of contempt. Do you know why? Because it is essentially saying that a person or group activity isn't worth prioritizing. I'll do something else. And I'll be honest, Gen Z and millennials, we are all in this. Backing out of commitment. When you say yes to something, you better show up. If you don't, it's not the way of Jesus. And you actually need to repent. We shouldn't even have to say, I promise. But some of us have not followed through so many times that when you say yes, some, pe some people are like, they're not going to come through. Backing out of commitments. And again, sometimes we super spiritualize things or we make excuses. 
just say, my bad, I should have been there. That's all you got to do. Well, I was, I was working late. Oh, I was at the gym. Oh, I was meeting with so-and-so. Oh, I was doing da-da-da-da-da, whatever it is. Just say, my bad, I should have been there. I should have planned better. Don't put your lack of planning on someone else. It's a form of contempt. Is this stepping on toast today, anyone? Yeah, you guys good? Okay, here we go. All right. Here is number 11. This one's going to hit a lot of us. Number 11 is looking at your phone in a conversation. If someone's talking to you, do not be scrolling. Because you're saying that that person and what they're saying is not that important and doesn't have a level of value to take you away from that Instagram feed. By the way, you can go to later. Seriously. Like I was tempted this morning, honestly, guys, to look at all of us and go, hey, if you can, turn off your phone. Matter of fact, going forward on Sunday mornings, I'm going to encourage you, turn your phone off and you're like, oh, I take my notes on my phone. Get a journal. (laughs) Write it down. Like, it's okay. You can use a pen and some paper. All right? Some of you are like, well, I use the Bible on my phone. I've got a free one for you. Like, the excuses are not going to help you. Turn it off. Get off of it. These are 11 examples, some small, some large, of contempt that undermines one another, that undermines the fabric of community. Yet, the call of the believer into the community that is the family of God is to practice the very opposite of contempt. And that is honor. Honor. The antithesis of contempt is honor. Now, this may be triggering for some of you, but let's go back to Romans. I'm not going to talk about predestination, election, corporate, individual. I'm not going to do that today. All right? That was last summer. Some of you are still scarred by that talk, or you didn't learn a thing. (laughs) Romans chapter 12, I think, is the most clearly laid out vision for life together in the New Testament. Love and action, some refer to it as. Here's what Romans chapter 12 has to say. And some of us are like, Romans is dense and hard and blah, blah, blah. If you can just get through the first 11 chapters, there's a lot of really good stuff at the back. Okay? Romans 12, verse 9 through 10. Paul is instructing a diverse, multi-ethnic community in the urban core of Rome. Where they're experiencing some tension and challenge. Here's what he says. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Now, last week we talked about love requires two things, commitment and consent. But it also requires authenticity. All right? The idea of hypocrisy in the original Greek means something that is disguised or a mask. When we talk about hypocrisy, we're talking about masking. And here, to be free of hypocrisy means to undisguise something. Some translations say love must not be, um, or excuse me, you should not pretend to love one another. Love must be free of hypocrisy. He goes on, detest what is evil and cling to what is good. Here again, we see love connected to goodness. 
Dallas Willard talks about to love another is to will the good of another. I mentioned in the abiding series that it's to extend joy to another person. All right. To love has this notion of goodwill, to will the good of another. But guess what? He isn't just calling the community to cling to what is good, but you also need to detest what is evil. It's a twofold command. Not just one. There are two, two commands, two imperatives from Paul. You need to detest what is evil. And by the way, contempt is evil. Detest it. Hate it. All right? Detest what is evil, cling to what is good. Goes on. Be devoted, which devotion and commitment are anathema in 2023. Let's be honest. We're not fans of devotion or commitment. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Okay? There is this notion here of uh, family affection. Family affection. Love another person as your brother or your sister with affection, okay? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Then he goes on. Here we are. Give preference to one another in or wrapped in honor. Honor. Now, often in the the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, you see glory and honor joined together. However, there is a difference between glory and honor. Glory is innate and doesn't require recognition. In other words, the Lord Jesus is going to be and is glorified whether you give him glory or not. He will be glorified. It's innate. You don't need to give him his glory for him to get any. He has it. It's innate. Doesn't need recognition. But honor isn't something that is innate, but rather something that is given or bestowed. In other words, Jesus will get his glory, but you have to choose to give him honor. Glory is inherent. Honor is assigned. Glory is inerrant. Honor is a sign. So what does it mean to honor? To honor is to acknowledge the value of another. In particular, the contribution of another. It is recognizing the worth of another person. To esteem them. To boost their self-esteem. It also connotes the idea of commitment or to fulfill an obligation toward another. Think about the idea of honoring a contract. There is this notion of commitment and obligation. And when honor becomes a practice of the community, it actually raises the value of the community at large. If contempt is everywhere in culture, honor seems to be nowhere except on Mother's Day. It's like the one day, like your kids could treat you like trash. And on Mother's Day, oh, mom, I love you. You're amazing. You're great. Thank you so much. Next day, back to normal. (laughs) Like honor is so foreign to us, except for Mother's Day or maybe when a soldier comes home after serving the military and we honor their contribution. Or 
some athlete gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. We honor them. We clap our hands. Well done. Honor here is this sense of raising the value of another person and recognizing contribution. Now, we actually see honor all throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Here are a few examples of honor. John 5, 22 through 23, you don't have to go there. It's going to be on the screen. Shows that honor exists within the Trinitarian community. The honor is an attribute of the Trinity. Here's what it says in John's gospel account. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. Honoring the Trinitarian community. One way we honor God as human beings is with our bodies or with our sexuality. 1 Corinthians 6.19, don't you realize, this is anathema too in society. Like this is heresy, all right? Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Don't you realize this? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. There is this notion of value again. So you must honor God with your body. Here's another one. This one's going to be really good for all the wives in the room. Husbands are to honor their wives, by the way, in order that it doesn't hinder their prayer life. Check out 1 Peter 3, verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, which by the way, some of you like, all the like raging feminists in here are like, hold on a minute now. What are we talking about? Weakness. (laughs) This is talking about the physicality between a male and a female, okay? And again, some of you are like, I still don't agree with that. We can wrestle later. She may be weaker than you are, (laughs) but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her, listen to this, as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. If you're figuring out, why am I so disconnected from God and you're a husband and you're not honoring your wife, there might be a reason why. Your prayers may be hindered as a husband because you're not honoring your wife. That is insane to me saying, I'm not getting any prayers answered. Well, you're treating your wife like dirt. Honor her because she is valuable. We also honor with our wealth. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Honor with your wealth. These are all various ways that honor is shown. And there are countless others. One of the ones that we all know, or at least most of us probably know, honor our father and mother is a call of the scriptures. And by the way, that doesn't stop when you move out of the house. There is no clause. Some of us are like, yeah, I did my job for 18 years. (laughs) No, that continues on. Are they still your parents? You need to continue to honor them. Okay. But the primary way that honor is shown to one another, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 10, is through giving our preference to one another. 
to prefer one another. Or as the message says, which I love this from Eugene Peterson, practice playing second fiddle. Practice playing second fiddle. Michael Burr, the New Testament scholar, says, this statement is profound in an honor-shame context, as Paul is telling Christians not to pursue honor for themselves, but for others. Most of the narrative that we are given in our time is to leverage our relationships for our own betterment, upward mobility, and self-actualization. Even marriage is this way. Marry someone that's going to benefit you that's going to help you become your best self. Rather than leveraging yourself for the group at large. Again, this is a Western individualistic phenomenon. In Eastern part of the world, the majority world, individuals actually are practicing honor and are loyal to the group over themselves. And we could poke holes at both dynamics, but there's something to be said about being loyal to the group. But the call here in Romans chapter 12 is the literal opposite of the call in our time in the West. We are quite literally, as it says, to prefer one another over ourselves. One another takes precedence. One another takes precedence over your calendar. One another takes precedence over your free time. Like, this is insane. One another takes precedence. Now, this isn't to say you shouldn't have individual time. That's, that's wonderful. You should. You are to love others while you love yourself. But we should be the best at giving of ourselves to another. The NLT says, take delight in honoring each other. I love the way the Common English Bible has it here. Verse 10, love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Andy Crouch says this about honor. Bestowing and maintaining honor requires the kind of binding community that Western mobility and personal freedom are practically designed to dissolve. You are in a world that is meant to dissolve honor of another. Yet, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the beginning of what's referred to as the Christ hymn, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, clarity on humility really quick. I love this from Peter Craig, who's a, a, he's a Catholic philosopher at Boston College. Super smart. He says that humility is thinking less about yourself, not thinking less of yourself. Do you see the distinction? Not thinking less of yourself is thinking about yourself less. To think about yourself all the time is actually narcissistic. It's not the vision given here in the New Testament. So we're going to close today with four practices of honor. Four practices, tangible things for us to take with us into this community. And they're all one word. So as you are typing out your notes on your little phone, just think to yourself, I could do this with pen and paper. It'd be very easy. Okay? Here's the first practice of honor. 
And that is to simply say or to speak, to say something like, I appreciate what you did. Thank you. We give honor by saying, verbalizing. When was the last time that you said you appreciated someone? When was the last time you told your dad, I appreciate you? When was the last time you told your friend, hey, I really am grateful for you? When was the last time you told your spouse, hey, I just want you to know, I really appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. Um, Two people in our community, two men in particular, are really, really good at this. It is a gift of theirs, and that's Corey Heath and Zach Armfield. They're great at this, at least with me. I don't know about you, but with me, they are very good at this. (laughs) No pressure. Keep it going. Occasionally, they will send me voice memos of just encouragement. And they're long. (laughs) Like, they're taking up storage in my phone. But every time I see a voice memo from Zach or from Corey, I'm like, I am so ready to be loved right now. To be appreciated. Like, those guys don't know what that does for me. Now, I'm a words of affirmation person. You tell me I'm awesome, I'm going to cry. I will. I will. And they do it well. They verbalize appreciation. My wife is excellent at this. She's the first person I've ever heard in my life who says, I appreciate you. Now, I've heard I love you. Love you. But Jordan looks at me in the eyes and says, I appreciate you. She's probably done that with some of you before. She's good at that. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. We got to say things like, I appreciate you. I honor you. When you meet someone, next time you meet someone that's brand new, you've never met before, look at them and say, it's an honor to meet you. Pleasure is mine. Here's the second practice of honor, to give, to give. To say, I just wanted to appreciate you. You can give different things, tangible things. Yeah, some of you need to like give somebody some money. Write them a check. Somebody you know in your life that may be kind of struggling right now, Duke Energy is on their back. Y'all know Duke Energy don't play. Spectrum, don't play. And they're like, who are you going to go to? That's what Spectrum says on the phone. They're like, you want to you you like get rid of your um, service? That's fine. You ain't going to have no Wi-Fi. <laughs> right? Someone struggling with their bills, write them a check. Just want to say, I appreciate you. Give. Now, interestingly, check this out. The Greek word for honor is actually spelled T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. Now, it's different in context, but I found that utterly fascinating in connection to the idea of honor. Because one way that we can value another is to give them one of our most valued possessions, and that is our time. Our time. This past week, I was, uh, I was reading up on some of the cultural differences between Western culture and majority world culture. And Gabriel and I actually have talked about this, so it will, it will make sense to him especially. But a quintessential response when someone asks to hang out or eat together in the United States, when someone asks you to, hey, let's get dinner, let's get lunch, let's get coffee, our quintessential response in the U.S. is, let me check my calendar. This is not normal in most collectivistic cultures. 
the dominant response, if there is a relational currency, is to simply say yes. Now, you might have to reschedule the time when the time comes, but you never look at someone and say, let me check my calendar. Because what it actually is doing is it's putting your time and your person above them. It is devaluing them in some regard. You're placing them in a hierarchy of priority. But like I said, it's not committing to say, hey, I have to. If something comes up, something comes up. But like me and Gabriel talked about this. This is very foreign in majority world cultures. Let me check my calendar. And some of us, we, we, we struggle with this. It's not a bad thing. It's just the reality that for us to honor people, we got to go the extra mile and be willing to say yes. Now, I realize also we need boundaries. So here's what you can also say. I can hang out on this day. I can hang out at this time. Here's a way of getting around it. I know you have things going on. We all do, okay? Here's another thing. Some of us think that because we had one thing on one day means we can't do anything at all the rest of the day. And that may be, that may be, a, that may be a capacity issue, but just because you worked today doesn't mean you can't hang out at night. And I'm not saying do it all the time. Some of you are going to be really upset at me. Don't be upset at me because I got a schedule too. I got things going on too. We can talk about it. But be willing to say, you know what? I will carve out 30, 45 minutes to an hour. Okay? I think it's going the extra mile to honor another person, to give your time. Okay? All right. Some of you are like, you didn't have to stomp on my toes that hard. All right. See, that was contempt. Did you see that? That was actually contempt. I apologize. <laughs> so sorry. See, it's just, it's, it's the proclivity towards sin, you know? All right. But I'm in process. I believe in optimistic grace in Jesus' name. But specifically when it comes to food and eating together, food in collectivistic cultures is a matter of hospitality, not efficiency. We see food and dinner as efficiency in the U.S. But efficiency, by the way, guys, isn't a virtue or a characteristic of Jesus. Efficiency is not a virtue. Productivity is not a virtue. Faithfulness is. Service is. But efficiency isn't a virtue. And oh, by the way, 1 Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality one to one another without complaining. Take it up with Peter, not me. And he was hung upside down. So don't, don't get upset at me. Take it up with Peter. And he had a pretty checkered past, so let's be honest. But giving of, of time or money is quite literally extending and giving value to another person. And I would also say giving people an opportunity is another way of extending honor. Look at someone and say, hey, I need you for this. Can you help me? You're really good at XYZ. Can you help me with this? Like that's actually extending honor because you're valuing what they can contribute. Give responsibility to another person. It actually increases value and respect. Here's the third practice. The third practice is pretty simple. It's to serve. Serve another person. You helped me. I want to help you. Galatians 5.13, another one of those, one another says, serve one another in love. Serve one another. For us at Emmaus, I want to honor the volunteers and those of you who give of yourself and serve. Does anyone know how the trash gets from in the building to at the road? 
Has anyone here taken the trash out to the road before? Ah, uh, maybe one. Okay? Two. Jimmy Clapp comes every single week to take the trash out. You didn't know that. But I want to honor him for doing something that no one sees. The podcast gets up every single week because of something you don't see. Chris Miller goes the extra mile. Every afternoon, about four o'clock, I get an email. Here's the recording from today. And so it can be on the recording. Chris Miller, I honor you. Thank you. Is my microphone? See, look at this. <laughs> wow, right on cue. That was good timing. <laughs> Zach Armfield, every week, puts it up. The video gets up by Emma McKinney. I mean, people do stuff. And our kids, behind all the AV stuff, the worship team, connections, coffee. April Culp's like, let's do a garden. Like, she's a mom of two kids. And I'm like, come on, it's beautiful. Serve one another. I want to honor you if you serve. And we can honor one another by serving one another. No one is to be overlooked in this community. Every person matters. Every contribution matters. The people who get overlooked make it happen. You don't notice something until it isn't functioning properly. You won't notice the trash until it's overflowing one day. Matter of fact, Jimmy, one week randomly, you should just let the trash overflow. See what happens. See what happens. The, the folks that help put together meal trains for mothers that just had a child. What if one time that person who always seems to do it doesn't do it? They want someone else to do it. Serve one another. When was the last time you invited someone to your home for a meal? Serve one another. It's the way of Jesus. And sometimes, if we're honest, it's easy to serve those outside of our own community. Because there is usually an accolade that comes along with it. You can post about serving the homeless. You can post about serving refugees. You can post about serving an archer. But you're not going to post about serving your local community. Very little accolades when you serve one another. The fourth and final practice, and I'm, I'm done, is to consider. Is consider. To be able to look at someone and say, who, who you disagree with, where there's tension, I want to hear you out. Listen well. Learn to disagree well. I want to hear you out. May we be open to one another. May we consider each other's insights and thoughts. May we listen and be engaged and ask good questions. Be willing. I'm not saying you don't have convictions. I'm not saying that you can't have a strong sense of self-belief. But be open to another and learn to listen. I want to hear you out. Matter of fact, find common ground with someone you disagree with. Be able to say, you know what, I, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. I might disagree here, but I, I, I can see where you're coming from. I, I do. Tim Keller says, tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. We throw around tolerance. 
in society as the, the primary moral virtue. And if we're honest, some of the people who are the most intolerant are the people who are always telling us to be tolerant. But the reality is tolerance doesn't mean you agree with me. That's not all what the etymology of the word means or the definition. Tolerance is to be able to respect another person's dignity when you disagree. That is what tolerance means. And that's just the minimum, guys. That's not even love. Now, these four practices, I think, will result in preference toward one another. The great C.S. Lewis was famous for saying, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. You're never talking to an object. You're always talking to a human person. I want you to think of how you would act if Jesus of Nazareth walked in these doors. How would you respond? Oh my word, there he is. Chacos and all, baby. He's here. Burlap robe. I mean, wow, look at that. The skin complexion is great, man. You look awesome. Like we would go insane if Jesus of Nazareth walked in here and we're like, dude, show me your hands. Let me see that. Wow. Wow. But do we do that when our neighbor walks in the door? Like, oh man, there's Mary, mother of three. Wow. She's here today. Like I get a chance to talk to her. I am so thrilled that Mary is here. How do you do it? Right? There's Matthew. He's a junior at UNCG studying economics. Wow, what a gem. I am so thrilled that he is in this community. Love the guy. Love him. Not sure about his shoes, but love the guy. Right? Like, I don't know. I want to honor you, man. If your favorite celebrity walked up in this place, how would you respond? You would be thrilled honoring them. But what about the person across the room? We have to honor one another. When someone walks in those doors next week or even after this gathering, I want you to go, man, it was an honor to see you today. Thank you for all that you do and all that you are. These four practices, I truly think, will help us subvert a culture of contempt in our society. To be a beacon of honor. Marlena Gray, as I'll finish with this, says, Christ often comes to us disguised as the people we write off, those we ignore, those we think are beneath us. And this is why we have not seen God. Where today is there contempt in your own life? I've shared with you some of mine. Where is there contempt in your life and dishonor, small or large? Who do you need to reconcile with before you come to the table? Because I'm sure there's someone this week we dishonored. And we're going to come up to the table freely, which is amazing, and probably not think twice about it. I want us to come to the table this morning as an opportunity to repent. Matter of fact, if you need to repent, I want you to come to the altar first and surrender it at this altar this morning. And and by the way, I'm going to lead us. I'll be the first one. I'll be the first one. Second thing is, who is one person in this community that you will honor this week? One person that you will honor this week 
in this community. Corey, if you can come on up, man. We're going to wrap up our time together. We all got to go have some questions.